All right, we're here. Hey. Welcome. Thank you I'm for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I couldn't wait to get next to you. Oh, it's a it's a gift and the energy just feels good. You you just look so organic and like this we're meant to be in this space together. Thank you. Also, happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day to you and thank you for the gorgeous flowers. You are welcome. Yeah, it's a small flowers this morning. Every, every woman deserves flowers, yes. right? And you know what? Men also deserve flowers. Agreed. Before we get into it, have you heard this story? That most men, the only time they ever receive flowers from another person is at their funeral. Huh, that's true. So we have to make an intentional choice mm. to surprise the men in our lives with flowers sometimes. Done, done and done. I okay. do think that would be a surprise and it would be, I think it would be well received when Absolutely. I think about it. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. done. Thank flowers you. for everybody. I agree, flowers for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, today, so Shannon Allen, yeah. I have known you, we, we are, I wouldn't say that we're super close friends, but we have known each other for, I think, I don't know, 12, 16 years. Longer. It's been a long time, Longer. maybe 18, 18 years. Really? It's We've been known a each other for 18 years, but like ebbs and flows, connecting, not being so connected, reconnecting. And um, always through different channels. Yes. Like I remember the very first time I met you, I think it was at your home. Mm -hmm. You were maybe eight months pregnant. Like you were very pregnant. Yes, and my son is 18 now. Okay, oh, really? Yes, yes, oh. so that's why I know it's 18. Oh my I was goodness. very, very pregnant. And oh. so, yeah, he's getting ready to go off to college, and so. That's the son it, you were pregnant with yes. when I was at your house. It's literally a lifetime ago, right? It's such a gift, and even then, I was at your home, you were, you were, you know, way into your pregnancy. I think your husband was traveling at the time. He was playing a game somewhere. I was there with the person I was dating at the time, who was a good friend of, of Ray's. Yes. You had prepared dinner for us. I think you prepared it for your whole family, but you graciously invited us. It was so generous of you, you to invite me into that space. And then every time that we've reconnected over the years, it's been through different channels and different relationships, but it's always been filled with like love and I always have been so impressed with your intelligence, your energy is palpable. It's just been like just beautiful every single interaction and I've been so grateful Thank you. every single the time I've been able mutual. to see you. Every and every time. time we reconnect, I'm like, why don't I spend more time with this woman? <laughs> why don't I spend more time with this woman? She just like brightens up my day and mm. even just your posts, mm. staying connected through social media. I'm always like, wow, I feel smarter right now because I just learned something. So. I'm glad we're here together. Me and too. Now that we live in the same city. Yes, done. And I am five minutes from you. We're going to see each other. And I'm going to come over one of those days when I see you making all these amazing <laughs> recipes. I see your post and I'm like, ooh, what's that? Is that butter? What, what is that? I know so it's much healthy. Butter. I know it's healthy though. <laughs> so it's not butter, but it's still butter. <laughs> so yes. today we are going to talk about all sorts of things. I know that you are the founder of Grown mm -hmm. and that you have had an amazing career as TV personality in, in music, your husband is an NBA all-star, and you are the mom of five children. Five plus one makes six. Five We plus have like one. a bonus son right now. Our son's best friend lives with us, so he's been with us for three years, so one girl and five boys. So literally, we live in a frat house. Like You're like, how do you define yourself? And I'm like, I'm Shannon Allen, and I am running a frat house. <laughs> It's the most authentic um, that's a great description <laughs> I have. I mean, it literally, that's it. It's just like the testosterone zone. But it's, it's, it's the best part of my life, you know? It's like we do everything loud and with extra cheese. Like it's just kind of where, where we're at at this point in life. But you know what's really amazing? It, it truly is, and you know this, being a mom of boys, yes. right? Yes, yes. Um, that I feel so grateful 
and blessed that part of my destiny in this lifetime is to be a woman and a mother hmm. because it's not guaranteed. Yep. And so many of us have unique experiences um, as women. Yeah. Anyone that defines themselves or identifies as a woman, we all have a unique experience. And um, it's a different kind of a journey with lots yeah. of ebbs and flows. And you're not guaranteed um, to be a mother in this yeah. lifetime. Yeah. And even though every mother's journey is different and how they define themselves yep. as mother and how they get to be a mother. Um, and even in my own house, I just told you, I have a bonus son. Yep. Right? Yep. And so I get to do some mothering for him, even though he has an amazing mother. Yep. And um, I'm a bonus mother to our daughter. Yep. Even though she's my only girl, she has an amazing biological mother. Yep. I've been blessed to share Tierra with. And she is by far, I mean, my gosh, she's the reason I wanted to be a parent again and again oh. and again and again. So I do feel really just so grateful to God and the universe that um, these souls are in my life and I had the opportunity to help guide them and I love lift it. them up. I love it. And it's so good to start with that gratitude. You're right. I, I, I have friends now. I'm I'm 51, mm -hmm. and I have friends. Damn, you who, look good. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll take it. Thank what? you. That's the lighting. The lighting in here is working for me. Lighting is good, but I think but happiness. That good. I think happiness. Yeah. I think sometimes we wear happiness on the outside mm -hmm. too. So when we feel really good, I feel like it shows, right? And so I definitely yeah. feel like I'd look happy, and I I, I appreciate that you for do. sure. But there's also you know people I know who are in their good friends who are in their early and mid 40s now and or approaching 50 mm -hmm. who haven't had children mm -hmm. who have been pursuing something else or it hasn't worked out in the way that they've wanted sure. and now they're really wrestling with that and so to pause and give gratitude for the opportunity to have this really you know special experience yeah. of motherhood it's absolutely and important. I had kind of the opposite right like I was a singer I was in a girl group on Motown mm -hmm. Records, signed by the late, great Andre Harrell. Rest in peace, wow. Andre. Thank you for making my dream come true. I was an actor. Um, I met my husband, Ray, who was, as you mentioned, arguably the greatest three-point shooter in NBA history, Hall of Famer, NBA All-Star, two-time NBA champion. We were really young when we met. <clears throat> I was 21, he was 20. We've been together almost 28 years now. Wow. And he always knew he wanted a big family. You know, mm. He already had this beautiful little girl. When we met, she was almost three. And he knew, you know, he's the middle child of five. Um, and I don't know if we mentioned, but my mother-in-law is actually here in the studio Hi, with us today. Hello, Miss Allen. <laughs> Bring your mother-in-law to work day. I love it. Um, and so they grew up on an Air Force base and they had a huge family. And so he knew, like, I want to have a big family. And I was kind of like, I don't have any interest in having kids. I was, <laughs> I was the oldest of three girls. Ah. And all of the women in my family were single black women. They raised their kids. Really? They paid all the bills. They sent everybody to college. And um, there weren't a lot of men around. And it was a lot of work and um, my mom and dad are still married but that was really the only marriage that was really the only like visible partnership mm -hmm. um, and my mom was the breadwinner she you know she owned and mm -hmm. operated a very successful um, black female owned business a real estate company but she had some support where my aunts really were all brilliant all had small businesses that they owned and worked and they didn't have a partner and I remember thinking I, I can't do this. How are they doing this? Yep. How are they doing this? And so that was my feeling like I, it's not a guarantee that you're not going to be doing this alone. And yep. I just take my hat off to all of these extraordinary women and some dads that are single dads that have to do it by themselves. And so that was kind of my thing. Like I'm a career person. Yeah. I have no interest in being a mom. Yeah. 
So what changed you? You just, was it love? Was it Ray's really good at negotiating? <laughs> Ray's really good at, um, <laughs> that's where we'll stop. No, um, <laughs> you know, I fell head over heels in love with him. Mm. And I saw what an incredible dad he was as yeah. a young father. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh my God. And Tierra was so easy to love. Mm. I mean, so easy to love. And we spent so much time together. Mm -hmm. And kudos to her mom, because she really allowed me yeah. to develop my own relationship with Tierra and never made me feel like you can't really love my daughter fully. I love that. It was never a, you know, she's not your mom type yep. of a deal. It was like, listen, when I'm not physically present, Shannon is the boss. That's a beautiful opportunity. It's so young for, for Tierra. Like for you and for Ray and for, for Tierra's mom, but yes. also for Tierra to understand that love can be abundant and expansive mm -hmm. and come from so many different places. What a gift to her. And a gift to me mm. because I got an opportunity to learn how to not be selfish yeah. and love someone else. And um, I just thought to myself, wow, you know, if they can all be like this, mm. I'm gonna have to go ahead and give this man babies. And, and <laughs> once I started, I just didn't stop. <laughs> They're amazing. You have amazing children. Yeah. So the, the age range now is Tierra well, is 30. She's married and we're about to be grandparents. Yes. Oh my God. I'm about to be somebody's grandma. Oh my God. <laughs> you have your grandma name picked out already? I don't. I'm, whatever the baby calls me, I'll accept. You have to figure yeah, out. Okay. It can be like doo-doo and I'm like. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Doo-doo says yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so Tierra's 30 and married and she has a really wonderful husband named Travis who we love. I love it. And she has her person and mm. they're starting a family. And then we have the five boys. Yep. Ray Ray, who's our firstborn, and then his best friend Jeremy. Jeremy, both 18. we gotta throw Jeremy, gotta throw Jeremy in. <laughs> in there. Um, he's awesome. And then Walker, who's sixteen. Winnie, who's thirteen. His name's Win, and Whiston, who's eleven. So one girl and five boys. Oh my goodness, the frat. It's a total frat house. The frat. All the way to eleven. I can. T I have one, and I'm always like. You can't put the top back on anything. This is a cousin I can only imagine with five. You know what the craziest imagine. thing is like, and you know this from experience, they don't know where anything is. Nothing. I'm like, how do you operate when I'm on top, when I'm traveling? Literally, we'll have something in their hand and be like, mom, I don't understand, where are the keys? And I'm like, ah! <laughs> you're literally holding them. So my favorite, my favorite quote in the house is, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. Because everything is like right in front of them and they cannot see it. Go figure. Well, it's not just me. It is good to talk no. about these things. Though. It is. But you know what? If that's the worst of it, fine. I'll take it. I'll take it because there's so much love. Oh my there's God. so much love. They're so amazing. Every single day. I'm so just proud of them. And really just, I just love who they are mm. as people. And I, My mother-in-law was in town for the past couple of days. And of course, she loves being with the boys. And Jeremy and Ray Ray flew to LA to go to Rolling Loud, right? Mm. Normally, they travel for AAU basketball, right? Because they're both amazing basketball okay. players. And so every once in a while they travel without Ray and I with their teams or whatever for team camp. And we know they're in a group and they're good. Um, but they went for a concert. And so like my mom and my sister are like, wait a minute, what do you mean? They're flying to LA to go to a concert and they're gonna be on their own. And how do you feel about this? And you know, are they gonna be safe? And of course, like, you know, there was like a fire breather at Rolling Loud and like people caught on fire, but you know, everybody was okay, <laughs> thank God. Um, that, that was an after effect. But um, I just was like, listen, I trust them. Yeah. And they're such good people and they love music. 
and I am a music lover, and yeah, Ray yeah. is a music lover. And on the weekends, if they don't have games, like Ray Ray and I are in this vintage record store digging through the crates. Oh, I love it. Me too. And like he'll go, you know, we'll go home, and he's like playing me records and spinning me stuff, and it's just such an incredible wow. thing that we have and i want to encourage that yep. i don't want him to live in fear as scary as the world is oh. i want him to have experiences and by the way he's going to make mistakes yep. jeremy's going to make mistakes we made mistakes i yep. make mistakes every single day and i think part of the issue that we're dealing with in our society now is that our children children of color black kids aren't allowed to make mistakes yep and that's a real problem. Yep. Because how do you learn? How do you grow? How do you develop skill, it's confidence, competence? I agree. Yeah. Or a major aggression. Major aggression. It's it, it's interesting because I, over the last, I would say like six months, I've really been sitting with my own intention. I'm a very spiritual person, and I focus on particular kind of intentions. Mm -hmm. And one of them was has been and continues to be letting go of fear. Um, and not living in fear and the fear, I have all sorts of fear about all sorts of things, sure. right? But I'm not, I, I, the thing that I'm most wanting to let go of is the fear for my son. Mm. I'm like, that's, that's me. A hard one. I have to ingest that fear, but I don't have to give it to him. If I have to deal with it, that has to be me. But I don't want him to grow up in a fear-based mentality because that's going to affect how he sees the world. Right. I want him to be smart. I want him to be mindful. I want him to be careful. Absolutely. But I also don't want his natural orientation to be anchored to fear because that's a really diminishing place to live from. And so mm -hmm. I'm always trying to figure out how do I make sure that my kind of concern for his welfare, his safety, will other people see him with the loving eyes that I see him with and give him the benefit of the doubt? Mm -hmm. How do I assure that? And I'm like, I can't assure it. What I can do is I can do the very best I can by him. I can give him, you know, the tools. Mm -hmm. I can give him the guidance. But I have to just pray and, That's you know, it. and hope and also give him the space to try and to learn because those experiences are going to be absolutely necessary for him to try to kind of navigate the rest of his life's journey. And to live an authentic, full life. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And, and I, I totally hear you. And I'm right there with you because I have a lot of fear around my boy's safety in the world. Um, and it can be crippling and yep. it can be terrifying and you can get into a position where you're like, and I found it, it, it actually triggered for me when I realized that I was procrastinating on booking his flight. Mm. You know, normally, I mean, I got his tickets. Mm -hmm. Those came in the FedEx. You know, I, he already knew what he was going to be wearing. <laughs> he got the fresh haircut. You know, Jeremy was getting his hair braided. They were ready to go. And um, I had made arrangements for the hotel, but I procrastinated on booking the flight until four days before they had to leave town. That's really unlike me. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know what? You gotta just do this. Yeah, You gotta do this because you know how important it is to him and he's gonna be okay. And I literally just prayed on it. Yep. I just covered him in the blood of Jesus. Yep, yep. You know, I called my mom and my aunts and was like, I need you guys to be prayer warriors for me this weekend. Keep Ray Ray in positive thoughts. And then I just let it go. Yep. And I just wanted him to have an amazing time and he did have an amazing yep. time. I love it. And then that gives him confidence. It also helps build his competence, yes. right? And it also gives you both of those things as well. Like, okay, got it. I'm watching him yeah. do the thing that I was afraid for him to do, but he did it well. And probably with your singing career, you probably started off being much more adventurous or very adventurous at a very young age too, right? It's so crazy. I was literally just thinking about that because when I was talking to my mom, who was like really, really on me, like, I can't believe you're gonna let Ray Ray go. And I said, mom, I was 18 years old, living in New York City, in the studio during a graveyard session. So oh we would goodness. get to the studio to start working at one in the morning with nothing but men. For years, 
I didn't even have a cell phone to communicate with you. This was pre-pager. And she was like, oh, she's a player. <laughs> she didn't even know. She didn't even know where I was 90% of the time. And I'm like, why were you so confident that I was going to be alive? And she was like, well, I had faith in you. And I'm like, exactly. Exactly. And I have faith in him. I love it. And I have faith in Ray and Jeremy to make good decisions. I love it. And they did. They did. And they yeah. did. And we survived. And you survived. Thank and everybody God. survived. Thank God. Thank All God. we say is just thank, thank God, God another day. Thank God. Yes. How did you how did you decide to start Grown? Mm. I have been to Grown. It's amazing Thank for you. events. I've eaten the food there many times Thank as far you. as catering. I mean, it's really amazing what you've done. It's I love the slogan. Um, what is it? Uh, uh, real food. Real food. Cook, cook slow, slow for, for fast, fast people. people. I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. It's delicious. Thank Tell you. me a little bit about how you got to the place where you were like, of all these other things in your life and all the other pieces of your journey, mm -hmm. how did you decide to get into the food industry? I mean, I didn't want to, honestly. I mean, I would have to say like God did, right? Mm. I just, um, I was a singer and an actress. And I was, when Ray and I were living in Seattle, when he played for the Supersonics, I was flying back and forth to LA for auditions or for work. I was in a show called Century City that starred Viola Davis. Oh yeah. And um, then I found out I was pregnant with Ray Ray and I was like, okay, I gotta kind of put my acting career on the shelf for mm. a minute, which I was happy to do. Um, and during that time, because I'd always been a worker, I started having this weird feeling of like, I'm not contributing to the GNP mm. in my household. You know, all the women in my family worked. There was no soft life, you know, everybody worked. Mm. And so it was very difficult for me to kind of come to grips with the fact that I could be kind of like a dependent yep. and to be at home, you know, running a house that that was work. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do the work internally to really kind of legitimize this new version of me um, where I would prioritize the, the running of the household and the travel schedule and being a full-time breastfeeding mom and doing all the meal planning and meal prep and all the things. It's a lot I, of things. It's a massive job, a right? It's a massive job. I don't know why I didn't know it was a job, but a massive job mm. with no pay, right? Um, and, and I had to kind of reckon with that. Yep. And I was struggling with it. And my grandmother, who was my favorite person on the planet, mm. Um, she and I had a conversation one day and she said, just remember this, sweetheart, how you're able to live right now is how we've all prayed oh. that one day one of us would be able to live. And I realized, oh my God, you know, this black woman is telling me. I have my ancestors wildest dreams. Wildest <laughs> dreams that yeah. I get to, yep. I get to be the person that breastfeds these boys until they're three years old, mm. that gets to make their meals every day, that gets mm. to sort the laundry and be home at the airport waiting for my husband when he gets home from a, a road trip without having to answer to a supervisor yep. or check into a clock or have someone leaning over me about how productive I was. Yep. No woman in the history of my ancestry hmm. has ever had this gift. And who am I <laughs> to um, not recognize the enormity of that yeah. and to not sit in it with gratitude mm. and grace? And so I said to my husband, Ray, you know what? Um, he wasn't my husband at the time. I think we were engaged or maybe we were married. I don't remember, but I said, you know what? I, I'm okay with this. And thank you for being such an amazing provider because this is gonna be my job for now. And then I just, you know, I had Tierra, 
um, who I was a full-time bonus mom for, and then I had Ray Ray, and then Walker, and then Winnie and Winston, back to back. I mean, I breastfed for 12 years. Oh my goodness. Exactly. <laughs> I was like two boob junction, you know? I was like a walking vending machine, <laughs> and... But it was a whole visual going. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it was such an enormous gift, mm. and the time that I got to have with yeah. my boys. Oh, you you such this a was a luxury. Yeah. This was a luxury, and so I really got to sit in that. And then, and then we were living in Boston. We got traded to Boston, and our middle child Walker was diagnosed with type one diabetes in a very dramatic fashion. We almost lost him. Ah, oh. um, Ray and the Boston Celtics were competing against the late, great Kobe Bryant and the LA Lakers. We were in Los Angeles in 2008 for the finals. And we were were kicking butt. I mean, we were, Ray had, I think, game four, I think 24, you know, 24 points in the fourth quarter. Eight three-pointers, it was like a record. You know, nobody had ever had that many three-pointers in a fourth quarter in a finals game. And it was really interesting because there was 35 of us, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-laws, you know, all the, all the kids, the nieces, the nephews, whatever. I think my parents were out there. And between a Monday and a Friday, our middle child, Walker, who was just 17 months old at the time, was all of a sudden lethargic, increasingly thirsty, um, just really not himself. And then he started peeing through his diaper. And he was, Walkie was only 17 months old, so he wasn't eating a ton of solid food. He was mostly breastfed yep. with some, you know, ancillary stuff. But interestingly enough, he didn't have the word juice in his vocabulary. Mm-hmm. He was 17 months old, he had about 50 words. Juice wasn't one of them. But between a Monday and a Friday, he taught himself how to say juice mommy because he was so excessively thirsty. Ah, So Ray had this amazing game, which was game four. Um, the day of game five, I woke up in a pool of Walker's urine and I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And Ray said to me, something's really wrong with Walker. Cause I was kind of thinking like games, you know, trying to help everybody yeah. get to where they needed to go, managing yeah. the tickets, is everybody eating? You know, can we get to the Staples Center on time with all these people? It was a ton of us, there was team buses. And um, Ray was like, no, Shan, something is, and, and God bless Ray. To be able to be focused like that in the midst of all that happening. I mean, he'd been playing basketball since he was probably nine or 10 years old. He'd never been to the big dance. This is the moment he trained for his entire life. And he still had the focus with all of that. I mean, the Celtics and the Lakers hadn't even played against each other in the finals for years. This was like a absolutely, you know, just a real rivalry. Yeah. A real rivalry. Yeah, yeah. and he had the awareness to say, if you wake up tomorrow morning and he, he doesn't look like himself, you gotta promise me you're gonna take him in. Mm. And Ray actually saved Walker's life because the next morning when I woke up, as I said, I was in a pool of Walker's urine. He had completely soaked through his diaper, which was so unusual because he wasn't a big eater or drinker. Mm-hmm. And I remember putting him in the bathtub and he just looked like a wet noodle. And I called down to the concierge in the hotel and I asked them, do you have a physician on staff? And the concierge said, we, we have someone we can call, but we don't have anyone on staff. So I spoke with the doctor. I don't even know this person's name. And the doctor said, it sounds like a flu or maybe a baby virus, could even be food poisoning. But if I were you, I would take him into the nearest hospital because anything I could examine him for in a hotel room, we're not going to be able to identify like a blood test will. Yep, yep. And I said, okay, so what am I asking for when I get in there? And he said, I don't know. That's just the thing. They can rule out anything really scary with the blunt test. Do not leave 
without a blood test. And I said, okay, those words. Thank God, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have known to ask for a blood test. Not in a million years. Yeah. So we, we go to the hospital, we're there for 20 minutes. I'm begging people to give this boy a blood test. He's fine, he needs Pedialyte, he's dehydrated. He probably has a virus, you're good. You should head out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna ask anymore. I'm demanding. I'm actually not leaving here without a blood test. Yep. And 20 minutes later, this doctor walks in, white as a ghost, tears. And he's like, I'm so sorry. She, she. Oh. said, I'm so sorry, I almost missed this. Oh. Your blood sugar is supposed to be between 70 and 120. Walker's blood sugar is 639. He has type one diabetes and he's entered a phase of diabetes called ketoacidosis, which means his blood sugar is poisoning him to death. And if he doesn't get insulin immediately, you're gonna lose him. Oh my goodness. And that was the moment that everything changed, literally. I mean, oh. it was like a rug had been pulled out from underneath me. I was free, free falling through space. I had nothing to grab onto, you know, but prayer. Mm. And my auntie Sherry was sitting next to me, my godmother. Oh God. And she just looked at me and her face was like shit basically. And I looked at the doctor and said, I don't know anything about type one diabetes, but give him the insulin cause I'm not leaving here without my baby. Mm. And I picked up the phone and I called Ray. Ray was on his way to the game. He had game five. This was the game he was supposed to win a championship. <sighs> but I knew I had to tell him I could not yep. protect him from his own life. Yeah, yeah. You know, because as important as the games Ooh. are, you know? <laughs> I cannot protect you from your own as life. As important oh as goodness. the games are, yeah, right? Yeah. The championships, the yeah. Hall of Fame, all of it. Mm. You actually have five children. Yep. And you are responsible for nothing else yep. in life except those five children that you brought into this world. And I called him and I said, all right, um, I've got bad news, and he said, okay. And I said, Walker has type 1 diabetes. Your blood sugar is supposed to be between 70 and 120. They're saying it's 639. They're gonna try to give him insulin. If he doesn't get enough insulin, we're gonna lose him. I'm not claiming anything. I don't care what this lady tells me. I'm not leaving here without him. Jesus Christ has the answer. That reigns sovereign for me. So what have you got for me? And he said, thank God. And I said, thank God. <laughs> and he said, thank God. And I said, what do you mean? He said, can we fix it? And I said, I think so. He said, will we be able to bring him home? And I said, I think so. And he said, thank God. Mm. We don't have to bury him. Mm -hmm. That's all I care about. Oh. <laughs> so he went to an NBA game. I cannot believe. five. Oh my goodness, I can't even believe the emotional <laughs> state that he must have been in, that you were in, that you know, your whole family is in at this point. Okay, he's so I know that Walker so that is, is alive and well. Walker's <laughs> alive and well, he's 16. Thank God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Um, but Ray said to me, his next sentence was, what do you want me to do? I'm in a cab on the way to the Staples Center. What do you want me to do? Mm. And he said, do you need me? And I said, go play your game and then get your ass here because today I actually do need you. Mm. And if you watch the game, if you go back in time or if anyone goes back in time, because they, they talk about the game sometime, th that series, mm -hmm. um, you will see Ray in the locker room looking like, looking like he is physically not there. Mm. And he was physically at the game, but he is emotionally not present. And if you watch the end of the game, we ended up losing that game. He is running off the court 
taking his clothes off, stripping down to nothing on the court. And it was obviously a trauma response. He yep. did what he had to do. Yep. And he was he would he is such a humble private person. You never even see him take his shirt off in public. He was down to his underwear on the basketball court, mm. running off. And and next thing I know, he was walking into the hospital room. Mm. So 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 this is a very long answer to a short question. Oh. But um Walker is my why. <laughs> and he is why I was set on this path to learn about diabetes, type one diabetes, which he has, and by proxy, type two diabetes, which most Americans have. Yep. One out of three Americans have, and as you know, before COVID, diabetes really was the pandemic of our time. Yep. Um, and I became an activist and an advocate for raising res money for research for a cure. I sat on the International Board of Directors for the JDRF for years and the Joslin Diabetes Center, and um, was raising a ton of money. And during that process, what I realized was, People are actively looking for the cure. But in addition to that, insulin is the number one sold pharmaceutical on the planet. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. So there's a lot at play here. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized that something else needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And I was on my way to Whole Foods one night to buy groceries and Walker had an extremely low blood sugar in his car seat. And I realized in that moment I needed food from a drive-through window. And everything coming out of a drive-through window was a food-like substance, yep. stuff that goes from a freezer to a fry later. Mm -hmm. And what I really wanted for my baby, who was already insulin-dependent, was like gluten-free panko and crusted chicken tender. Mm. You know, that sounds amazing. Yeah, or like a <laughs> bowl of chicken tortilla soup. You know, and I couldn't get that. Yeah. And a donut wasn't going to cut it. And a taco with ninety-eight degrees, uh, ninety-eight ingredients, wasn't going to cut it. And I realized in that moment that somebody needed to have big enough balls to reinvent fast food. So that's Love what it. I did. Love it. And that was the moment that Grown was born. Oh, oh my God, I can't take it. Long answer <laughs> to a short question. Oh, it's a beautiful why. It's a beautiful why. Um, and, and it's, I'm so grateful because Grown has just prospered. It's Thank doing you. incredibly well. Mm. Um, and this is our year to scale, so. I'm, I'm putting that all in God's hands. Yes, the manifestation begins right now. We'll it hopefully does. we all are like throwing our it prayers does. in for that yes, and, and contributing happily. How did this? How did this? Um, how is it that you've gotten through like the last four years in particular mm -hmm. with COVID, with the racial equity movement, all of that? How is it as an entrepreneur and somebody mm -hmm. who's actually been trying to navigate sure. so many things closing down, so many shifts in the workplace, so mm -hmm. many expectations kind of changing? How have you navigated that? It's been life? hard. I mean, mm. I always say like, with a messy bun, Jesus Christ, and lots of coffee. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how to do it other it's than great, that. It's a great t-shirt. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's just been so difficult. And I've had to really rely on prayer and my family. I mean, my mom, I'm almost 50 years old. But during COVID, when I would get in a pinch and I didn't know how I was gonna make payroll, I would call my mom. Mm. You know, this 70 year old black woman who's been in business in her own right for 50 years old, like, mom, I need your help, mommy, I need your help. Oh. And she's like, I got you. Until they put me in the ground, you're my responsibility. I love it. Imagine that. That's a great response. That's a great mom. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, we, I think obviously, like most businesses in our area, we were really lucky that um, we already had a drive-through, which is the thing everyone tried to convince me against, right? Like, why can't you just make a great fast casual restaurant? Why does it have to be an organic certified facility? And why do you have to have a drive-through? And I'm like, well, I've got six kids. I, if I'm on a call and I need to get food, you know, right? I, I'm not able to get out of the car. Yeah. At the time I had four car seats. 
Why are people discouraging you from getting having a drive through? Because <clears throat> it's think, more expensive. It's more what? I think there's not a lot of real estate with existing drive throughs, or there's, at least there weren't when I came up with the idea in mm -hmm. 2008. You know, traditional fast food fast food reigns supreme. Um, so there wasn't a lot of real estate like that. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that people were thinking of is if it's an organic certified facility and you're using real food, yep. single ingredient foods, how are you gonna be able to prepare those as quickly as you know, uh, something that someone's throwing in a microwave? Well, it's about prep. Yeah, well, but also people's expectations shift. I know when I go to a coffee line, I'll sit sometimes 15 minutes and wait for a cup of coffee mm. when my expectation growing up was that I made it at home, right? Coffee out on the run for four or five dollars didn't exist. I think our expectations shift sure. over time. And so what you're doing is kind of creating a path mm -hmm. to a new cultural experience that right. I think people are willing to grow into. And obviously you were right, you had that vision. And I think also people's, there's a stigma associated with the words fast food, but that's why I use it. Mm. Because the problem is not the experience, mm. I mean, it's not like people don't need things quick. We, we need them quicker. Yep. But the, the issue is the, the quality of the ingredients and the, the, um, the opportunity of what's being provided is what's falling short. Yep. So if you can meet people's level of expectation by providing exceptional quality, single ingredient foods, nutrient dense meals, organic certification made by people that absolutely love food mm. and that eat there every day. Yep. You know, that have an employee meal off the menu and are being paid fairly. Yep. A real living wage, offered insurance, paid vacations, people that are treated with dignity, um, then the experience changes. Yeah. That's so wonderful. it's a it's a quality thing. I don't think the, the words fast food are dirty words, right? But what's been offered in the past, yep. You know, our 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 desires and our tastes have changed, so we need to meet that level of expectation. I and agree. Exceed it. I love it that you're like we're going to take these words and we're going to change the narrative around them, and we're going to yeah. make them kind of evolve with right. where it is that we need and want to be. It's, it's interesting to, to think about this. Like I, I told you, I, I think so much about kind of systems and equity, diversity and inclusion and how it is that we can truly have impact at the systems level. None of this like Band-Aid stuff right here right. and there, but instead at the systems level, where is it that we can intervene in ways that can truly have amazing impact on the kind of quality of the human condition mm -hmm. and, and, and the condition that, you know, the, of climate and earth justice. Oh and gosh. I think food, is the common denominator. There are a lot of other systems, you know, education and healthcare, but I think food is probably the most primary. Um, and so for you to say, I really wanna jump into that space mm -hmm. in order to really create change and kind of get on the other side of well-being rather yeah. than trying to fix with kind of pharmaceuticals and drugs, things that we continuously break through food and other practices, really thinking proactively about how do we invest in who we want to be in a way that's really holistic. But it's interesting because there's so many patterns that people have, right? right. There's so many patterns that require people either interrogating and or breaking or changing in order for us to get to be able to, just at a personal level, let alone at other sorts of legislative and other sorts of levels. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you chose this ridiculously complicated industry. It's no punk bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Fast food so has been done one way for a very a long, long time, time for a reason, Yeah, right? Um, but I'm really proud of it. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. And, and I believe that everybody deserves access to a grown. I know it should be affordable and accessible to every family. 
And I see it in my own life still. Like when we're, tra- we're a basketball family. So when we're traveling to AU games outside of Miami and we're in other states, I am like, what do I get these kids? What do I get them? There is nothing available for them out of a drive-through window. There's no, even if you strip away the organic certification, you cannot get a fresh pressed green juice out of any drive-through other than grown in America. You cannot get a piece of blackened grilled salmon with Brussels sprouts and sweet mashed potatoes out of any other drive-through in America. Mm. Like we did that. We did that. And, and we need to be able to do more of it yep. to make everybody have access to it. And I think, as you mentioned, there is this real divide um, and it's food racism. Yep. There is a, and, and, and classism. There's yep. a real divide for who has access to the best stuff. And the scary thing is we were the growers. Yep. You know, my mom's parents had a strawberry farm, mm. her, her grandparents on the Cape, they're Cape Verdean on the Cape in Massachusetts. And they grew everything. They grew kale, they do turnips, they do, you know, sweet potatoes, they grew uh, strawberries, you know, they had goats and goat milk and they provided all of that for their community. Acres and acres and acres of land, of farmland, you know? And my mother-in-law's family members grew up farming. Yep, Right. so did I, yeah, my yeah. family, yeah, yeah. And so we, we, we were the purveyors of food. We yep. were the growers of food. And we have now been put on the outside of having access to the best quality stuff. Yep. You know, our communities, and for the large majority, are food deserts. Yep. And so there needs to be a lot of, and, and I'm really blessed and fortunate that one of my really good friends is a woman named Asha Walker, and she has an organization in Miami who you really should interview. Oh, I'd it's love to. It's called Health in the Hood, and she's brilliant. And she runs community gardens um, here in Miami, and she employs families from the community to work the gardens, and then everyone gets to come in and, and and, and have it. bountiful you know, fruits and vegetables that they grow as they're harvest for free in their communities like Liberty City and Opalaka. It's really incredible work. Um, like reestablishing our relationship with food yes. and understanding the value of food. I feel like in the black community, I, you know, I, I grew up eating ridiculously bad food and it was because it was cheap. Right. It was cheap food-like substance. Everything was food-like, everything was a cheese-like, nothing, we, we were on the WIC program, like we would right. go in and if we would get good quality food, we literally would be told by the cashier, you can't buy that with your food stamps. Right? That's intentional. To, very intentional. So we'd be sent back to get the least expensive thing on the shelf oh. that had ingredients that were unnameable and over and over and over, but sitting there forever. If it doesn't expire ever, right, that's a problem. And then ingesting that for the entirety of our life. And then we wonder why our mortality rates are high, why our type two diabetes rates are high, why our obesity rates are high, why why our mental health is the number one killer of black women. And it's like, well, what are we, what are we consuming? Yep. What are we consuming on every level? On every level, not just food. (laughs) Not just food, but it starts with food. Yep, absolutely. It starts with food. And people ask me sometimes like, how do you get your kids to eat healthy food. How do you get your kids to eat broccoli? How do you get your kids to eat salad? And, and you know, I haven't always been successful. One of my kids doesn't love vegetables, um, but still eats vegetables, but doesn't love love. But I, you know, I always say, start them young, get them in the kitchen with you. Yeah, yeah. It's real, there's a, there's a point of pride when you're a part of the preparation process. Mm. And I have one of my sons win. If I start cooking without him, he's mad at me. He's like, mom, why'd you start without me? I love it. Why'd you start without me? <laughs> you know, he's like a little chef. He wants to be in there with me. And, um, you know, I think we can say the same thing about gardening. We can say the same, same thing about getting our hands dirty and learning about soil health and, and why 
why having access to real food matters. Um, it so. does. It does. And we have to, I agree with you. It's so socioeconomic in so many ways. We have to make it affordable. We have to make it accessible. And another thing we, I think we can do it from a systems level, because you were talking about systems yeah. and we work with, um, the public school board here in Miami quite a bit because my husband builds computer labs through his foundation and he donates them to public middle schools. I think he's done Amazing. six so far here, maybe seven so far in Miami. Um, I think all of them in Hartford, Connecticut, a bunch of them in Boston. And so um, we work with the foundation for Miami Public Schools and they do a really good job of trying to incorporate real food for kids. Nice. And there have been so many studies about how, especially during the pandemic, you know, we were really tore off the bandaid at the ugliness of how many children are food insecure. Yep. Yep. And that was so evident during the pandemic. Kids didn't have access to Wi-Fi. They didn't have computers. They didn't have a, an ability to communicate with their teachers. Yep. They weren't able to get to their counselors and they didn't have free breakfast and lunch. They anymore. didn't have food. Yeah. They just didn't have food. And some kids were like, we have to just to, just to eat. Yes. Yeah. And so they had a lot in Miami. There were a lot of drop offs set up where restaurants like ours, but many, many restaurants were able to come in and provide healthy breakfasts and lunches every single day for kids that were able to get to school, whether that meant walking with a friend or whatever. Um, Miami was really on it. And they also were gifting families $200 Publix cards every week mm. so that their parents could get grocery store, groceries from a real grocery store, not just like a Love bodega. It. Yeah, exactly. So they really, it really impressed me. And I'm sure there was a lot of horror stories, but there were also a lot of really good stories that came out of um, the school system and Carvalho when he was still in, in power. I love um, it. Trying to really help fill the gaps, stand in the gaps. We have to, and the service, you know, the service. It's, I love the whole, the whole trajectory of your story has been kind of, how can I serve and be grateful, right? All of it has sound like there's a, such a strong kind of service um, through thread, right? Yeah. Whether it's your children or your family or <laughs> recognizing and being grateful for ancestors um, and also then churning what is, was a, a tragic moment into an opportunity to be of service to an issue that's even larger than your family. It's, it's absolutely amazing and beautiful. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's you before we um, got started, you mentioned that there was an interesting equity, diversity and inclusion oh. issue that or yes. something that's recently happening. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to like dive in. I'm I want to hear your in. thoughts on this. Okay, um, I'm ready. So, um, you know, there's this this interesting thing that's happening now with the misuse of the word woke. Mm. Oh. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Can we just pause? Mm -hmm about how obnoxious this is. It's obnoxious. <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating and mm -hmm. obnoxious on so many levels. Mm -hmm. You know, something that, um, you know, set out to be so intentional and to um, really acknowledge people that were awake and aware of what was going on around them. And trying. And trying, yeah, yeah, to, right, yeah. to, to make space for everyone yep. so that everyone feels welcome to sit at the table has now been, I mean, vilified absolutely and and, and and contorted and twisted and uh, perverted in a way that means something bad about wanting to hold space for people yep and, and used in so many incorrect ways that yep. it's embarrassing yep uh, so I'm, I'm dealing with this issue in my job so um i don't want to speak too much about it because it's an ongoing legal battle oh oh it's legal oh juicy <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to talk about it anyway okay okay <laughs> Oh gosh. So I have a team member that worked with me. And one of the things I will say about the restaurant business is it is very unusual to have team members that have been with you for a very long time. 
Okay. Okay. We, we talked a little bit about culture and ethos yep. earlier yep. Um, and about what it is to be in a leadership position and how you yep. keep people inspired. I think we talked about that before we got on camera, but um, that's a really big deal to me because by nature, I'm not a great leader. I love people and I treat every situation like a family. That's interesting. It's interesting you say that because even though I talk about leadership and I'm really good at coaching leaders, for me to actually do the work every day, day in and out, yeah. day in and day out of leading in an organization is right. actually the hardest part of my world. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's it's hard for me to be a manager of people, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't want to be managed. <laughs> and I'm not a rules yeah. follower. So for me, I love giving people autonomy mm -hmm. to just, you know, make mistakes. Try it. If yeah. it doesn't work, whatever. You got this. I'm yeah. a detail person and I like things to be carried out, but I'm not like my way or the highway. I'm like, hey, if you can think of a smarter way to do this, go for it. Let's do that. Yeah. Great ideas come from anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's not like some period with me at the top, like, oh, I'm the only person. I'm the grown woman. No. Yeah. But I that's can't the work every position. Period. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Great ideas all the time come from people at every position in the company. Agreed. So uh, that being said, I'm not a great manager of people, but <laughs> in my leadership role as the CEO of this business, um, I have in a lot of ways modeled the organization of the restaurant group as a family. Um, and treating people with dignity is really important to me. I want to treat people the way that I want to be treated and I want to be seen and heard and I want them to know that they're seen and heard. And so something that's really unusual about our business that is very antithetical to a traditional fast food experience is that we have a 66% retention rate. Fantastic, In wow. fast food, typically every single position turns over at least three times every year. So if you have a general manager, you're going to have three general managers in a year. If you have a front of the house staff member that greets customers, you'll probably wow. see, you know, three to six of those. And that's exhausting. Just constantly filling. Constantly filling. And it also is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Turnover is very, very expensive mm -hmm. for businesses, not to mention morale. But we don't have that issue. I mean, our original dishwasher that started with us in 2015 is still at Grown. <laughs> hey, like, Anton Jones. We take Jones. care of it? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Anton. Um, and so we've been really, really fortunate to have these amazing souls believe in the mission of Grown and to want to see it through. Yeah. Um, and so one of my team members who's been there for a while um, exhibited some different kind of behavior that I hadn't seen before. And this was a valued member of the team, um, one of the highest paid members of the team, lots of responsibility, very, very good at their job and had been with us since the beginning. And um, during, I would say, the fall of this year, used racist language at the job. Mm -hmm. Used a racial epithet. Mm. And loud enough so that everybody could hear. Mm. And we were in the middle of a massive catering for a professional sports team. And it was a high stress day. We were feeding 250 people. It was a massive catered banquet. There were 30 people on staff. And the words were undeniably racist and incredibly hurtful to everybody in the building. We have a zero tolerance policy for discrimination of any kind. Yep. You know, ageism, racism, sexism, um, anybody that would speak about who someone loves or who they pray to or how they identify is just not acceptable at grown. Yep. You know, and um, I do have the entrepreneurial gene and I come from entrepreneurs, but this is big, bigger than that. Yep. This is just about being a, a human being. Yep. Um, my grandfather was the commissioner of minority small business for the state of Connecticut. What? Frank Silva to this day. The set aside programs that he built in the 60s are still there for black wow. owned businesses. Being an entrepreneur is something that was going to happen for me. Mm. 
dealing with racism for all of us in sexism as women and now ageism as we're getting older is always something that we're dealing with, but not under my roof. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is totally unusual. This person has never done this before. You know, there had been some grumblings in the past that, you know, things had been maybe spoken under the breath or, you know, kind of thrown away. But this was absolutely spoken in, in a manner that everybody in the restaurant just stopped. What happened? Like when everybody heard this. It was just like. Did you hear it? I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. I was already on my way to the, the venue yep. for, the, for the catering event. So the team member that it was thrown to and meant to hurt um, and meant to humiliate mm. called me and said, I've got to have a conversation with you about this. And I said, I'm, I'm going to see you in 10 minutes and we'll talk. And so we stepped aside and we had a conversation about what was said. And then I spoke to the other people that were there in earshot to hear it. And I told the, the gentleman that it was spoken to, you can leave this with me. And the next day I let the person go the person who spoke these words and, um, you know, this was intentional. This was meant to hurt. This There's was meant no to question. shame. Yeah. And it was, it was so awful. I won't even repeat it because I, I wouldn't want it repeated. Hmm. Um, and so the next day I called this person myself with, with our director of operations on the phone and just said, today's your last day or yesterday was your last day. And, um, I want you to know why. And I went through all the things about our zero and zero tolerance policy for racism. And I said, you know, this doesn't take away from the work that you've done here because you've done great work here. This doesn't take away from the kind of employee you are or the contribution that you've made, but this will not be tolerated here. And you know, you're welcome to come get your next check. But other than that, you're not welcome to be on the premises for any reason. Hmm. And here's the, here's the mic drop. Yeah. I'm like, well, everything sounds exactly like, does it sound like it was handled appropriately? It was perfectly textbook. This person filed a complaint against me with the EEOC that I'm a racist. Yeah. For, for, what did you do that was racist? Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Reverse discrimination. Oh, reverse discrimination. Because I'm woke. Oh, this is where the woke. <laughs> You're accused of being woke. You're guilty of being woke. I'm guilty accused. of being woke. You're, well, well, allegedly. You're allegedly woke. We don't get ourselves into legal trouble. Really? I'm, not only am I allegedly woke. Only in the state of Florida can you be allegedly woke and have it be like man pursued and, legally. And, and, the, and then the, 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 the cherry on top of this. this Sorry, this whole, I shouldn't laugh. This no, is a real thing. That it's you're a real thing through. that I'm dealing with, but it is laughable. It's, and sometimes you have to laugh so you don't cry. Yes, right? because this is ridiculous. And I'm so sorry yeah, that you're dealing thank with you. this. And, and, and that's how I'm treating it. Like it's absolutely ridiculous, but you still have to fight it. Yeah, you yeah. You still have to fight it because you cannot allow for this. And part of this, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm going to disclose this because we're, we're, we're talking and I think it's really important because of what's going on in the world. Part of the, the complaint is that I'm the face of the restaurant. That's offensive in nature to this person. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure why. Yeah, that, that's, that's offensive in nature to mm -hmm. this person, that I'm the face of the concept. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's offensive is that I'm proud to be a black female-owned business. Mm. Okay. And so what I think is so interesting about that is, because I have tons of different friends. My family looks like a rainbow. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad is white. My mom is black. Mm -hmm. um, my dad's mom's Jewish. Uh, we have 
whatever you can I, think I of. I have seen, I've seen You've your seen picture. It. Yeah, this is a rainbow. It's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a rainbow of everything. Of not, everything? not just yeah. of, of complexions yep. or languages being spoke or who you love or you know where you pray. I, I was baptized Catholic. My sister was baptized Baptist. My baby sister was baptized Congregationalist. I mean, in, in a family of three girls, we were all they just kept religions. making different choices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there, there's, a, there's a lot there. And it doesn't mean that I'm not incapable of having a feeling about something, right? We all have, we mm-hmm. all have biases. Yep, that's that's a fact. We all do have biases. Um, but I have so many friends that are so proud to be a second generation immigrant. Yes, or yes. a female owned business. Yep, right. Yep, um, or being trilingual. Yep, um, and I feel like I don't think we should feel bad. No. Nope about being proud nope. of who we are. When is it ever okay, when is it ever okay to be mad at someone that they're proud of who they are? Nope. It's interesting, I mean, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of um, Muhammad Ali saying, I ain't anti-white, I'm just pro-black, right? And it's kind of like that where it's like, right. for me to stand in or for you to stand in your truth, I am a black woman entrepreneur right. and all of the amazingness that that embodies and also all of the challenges and complexity right. is absolutely not just acceptable it should be cherished and honored right. but i i do understand that there are people who are like well i'm not allowed to say that i'm proud you know x y or z and not feeling like i have the ability to say that in this world mm-hmm. I, it's just ridiculous that we have to continuously explain yeah. to people what it's been like to be marginalized for the entirety of this thing that we call the United States of yes. America. And then the, the challenges as you started this conversation about all of the ancestors who have sacrificed so much built this country. for you to be where you are right now and for moment. you to honor them and be able to embody all of that freaking effort over generations. Yeah. And to be able to stand in that moment and have yeah. somebody throw a dart at it, it's right. awful. And, and you can insult and humiliate and try to shame everybody in here and yeah, then you want to yeah, be yeah. mad about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I saw something this morning actually That's that so Morehouse is being sued right now um, by a, a gentleman, a white gentleman who um, was upset because he was feeling like he has, his, I think he has a graduate degree from Morehouse and I don't want to tell the wrong story. I, you could easily Google this. Yep. Um, but it's, it's one of these like anti-woke lawsuits. Oh. Suing for $2 million. Um, for some reason, I, I, I just looked at it and was like, this is ridiculous, I have no idea. But it reminded me, there, yeah. there was a woman that was speaking about it and she was saying, the thing that people don't understand, and you can speak to this because this is your work, the thing that people don't understand in America is that numbers don't make you a minority, okay? Because black, brown people, yep. the AAPI community, when you put us all together, we're actually the majority of the population on the globe, yep. okay? But it's not about the numbers. It's about the systems that were put yep. in place to make you a minority. Right, as far as access. As far as To access. resources, to- To food. Economic, yeah. To, to the healthcare system, yeah. to loans, yeah. you know, to being able to get married, to yep. being able to love who you love, you know, to being able to have access to reproductive rights, excuse yep. me, or gender affirming care. I mean, yep. th- those, those systems that are put in place and locked in place yep. by officials and, and legislative branches that were designed to keep you out 
aren't about a numbers game. No, because it's always the, t- the very small minority from a numbers point of view, globally right. speaking and in specific geographies that are making those decisions. And they he- wield disproportionate amounts of power. And that's the tricky part about what's happening, I think, in the United States, but in so many parts of the world right now, is that we have such concentrated wealth, such concentrated um, resources and allocations of power, and the gap between the have and the have-nots is continuing to grow at such exacerbated rates that it's making it kind of, you know, it, it, we we have to be kind of persistent and kind of dogged. And we have to have people like you and like me and like Monique Eidlid, who was here on another uh, episode talking about oh, at the Monique. systems level, absolutely, at the systems level, where is it that we can intervene in order to try to have some actual um, impact that's going to allow for the kinds of changes that are going to be social, legal, in practice, um, and expected. But we can't just... I also am really happy that you're not giving up, that you're not like, you know what, I'm just going to say, forget it. I'm, I just want to wash my hands of it and walk away. Because one of the other burdens mm-hmm. that's unfortunately part of, I think, a lot of our journey, once we choose to get in the arena, like yeah. you've done, is to have to fight sometimes. We always have to fight. To have to stay the course. Every day is a battle. Every day is a battle. But to have to fight something that's ridiculous. When I used to be the director of a human rights office for a city government, I had the early part of my career literally delegated or designated to people coming to me complaints with, with complaints of discrimination. So this person, this employee would have come to me to do the investigation and then I would have had to mediate it and I would have had to make the decision. In the, I have really clear perspective about this is ridiculous. It's a yeah. ridiculous claim, but it's still going to cost you time, effort, emotional, mm-hmm. you know, legal emotional, bills. your legal bills, your, your ethos in your company. You probably mm-hmm. have your other employees trying to figure and out what this means for us. it was retaliatory in nature. It was retaliatory. It's awful. Right. But the opportunity that you have is to then bring the conversation back to your organization mm-hmm. and say, okay, That was the really beautiful part. Yeah. And I think... Um, the the like the reaction to the action from the team perspective is now the team is so um, bound. Yeah, 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 yeah. I bet, I bet that they're just like they're feeling. I have the tiger. So, <laughs> they're feeling so empowered. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, people feel seen and heard that yeah. that they matter. Yeah. That, that that the humiliation didn't stick. Yeah. That 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 something evil or cruel didn't win. Yep. And and. You know, when I was talking to my husband about it later, I said, listen, we have a daughter and five sons. And um, a couple of our boys work already out in the world, you know, teaching basketball, coaching, working at facilities, whatever. Um, and they're making a living on their own already for their own money. But they may or may not have a job where they work for someone in life. And this cannot fly. Yep, absolutely. Because if this was one of my boys, yep. and I have to look at this young man, this gentleman that works with me, as if he were my brother, my you know, my father, my uncle, my son, mm. um, in this moment, and how would I expect someone in a position of power to operate absolutely. for my sons? I can't believe you started this story by saying you're not a great people leader. I don't really, that's not my takeaway. That's not my takeaway. Maybe I need to to do a shift. (laughs) The major shift. I would actually say that this is the most beautiful um, example of what leadership is and can be and should be now in 2023 and going Mm -hmm. forward. And this is what people want and expect. So you just sharing this story and helping people kind of feel seen and understood in today's work world and to give example to other entrepreneurs and other CEOs 
and other people managers about what it means to really show up mm -hmm. and what it means to double down on our organizational values and our personal values is such a gift. I love it. How can we I say we it. don't have, we, that we have a safe space for people to work? Yeah. If their very presence can be challenged, yeah. if their very identity can be challenged. I love it. I'm so. Thank you. Oh my god. Well, it's it's you, ongoing. You, I'll keep you, I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Ta if you need a, a character reference, have the EEOC people call me. I'll oh. give them. I'll happily. Yeah. If you need. Okay. <laughs> I hope You're it doesn't like, get oh, to that. I, so. no, I hope I'm, it doesn't get to that. I can't imagine it will. Wow. Okay. So listen, I want to do a quick couple of questions to yes. wrap us up. Okay. You ready? Wrap okay, it. So this one's going to be quick. This one's going to be this. I think you're going to do well on this one. Okay. I didn't tell you in advance, but okay. I think with your music background. Is it like a one word answer? Nope. Not okay. a one word answer. Right. What is the current soundtrack of your life? Right now? Yep, right now. Um, I've been listening to Rihanna's um, Lift Me Up on repeat. Oof, that's a good one. Oh, again, my ear, uh, that one is so good. Yeah, I mean, just that, like that song is everything. Here. Yeah, I mean, mm. it's just everything. That song is like incredible. Tim's incredible songwriter, Rihanna, amazing performance. <sighs> just phenomenal. Done, I, I yeah. love it. Um, if you could give words of wisdom to your younger self, what would it be? Hmm my younger self? Say 16. Yeah. Like just way back. Well, not that far back. Yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, man, I would just, I'm so proud of her. <laughs> good answer. I am. That's a good answer. I wouldn't change anything. Good answer. I, I was a risk taker then and I'm a risk taker now. I didn't I give that. a fuck what anybody thought about me <laughs> then. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me now. I love you it. You know, if it's Jesus Christ, fine. Anybody else can take second place. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, special love, shout out, recognition to a special woman in your life on this international. I'm going to shout out my mother-in-law. Woo! Flo Allen Hobson. Yes! Because she raised a real man. Okay? And, and we always say, women, may we love them, may we be them, may we raise them, may we also raise men that are feminists. Amazing. She raised a man <laughs> that is a feminist and he rides for me every single day and I could not have dreamt of, prayed for, designed myself a more extraordinary man to love me and my kids mm -hmm. than this woman's son. Mm -hmm. So thank, thank you. you to you and also to my mom because I can never leave my mom. <laughs> Jacqueline Ann Silva Williams, who's my angel on this earth. Oh, I love it. Oh, my mother's name is Jacqueline too. What? And I have all sisters. I'm the oldest of all sisters. We have so much. How many girls? Talk. Four. Wow. Yep. But awesome. it's, it's, I love it. I absolutely love every moment of this conversation. Me too. I Thank you for having so, me. So, so honored. And thank I you to Demetrius it. for pulling me in. Thank you to Demetrius. That was actually, I was like, oh, I don't know. She's probably so busy. And she was no. like, I'll just make the call. Yeah. But it was so, it's such a gift. I, in my mind, I had all these stories like, no, of course she's too busy if this is you know what but for you to say yes thank you thank I you i just really appreciate thank this thank you for space. asking me i'm so happy all right my friend all right much love to you, you happy too. international women's day you as well all right.